All right. Well, thank you for being here this morning. In just a minute, we're going to continue our message series together. So we look at the heart of Christ. But before we do that, um, I saw Tom and Beth Hoover sitting over here this morning. And I'm glad that they're here. And uh, Beth has had some health issues over the last year or so. Uh, but in the last couple weeks, Tom got some bad news. Started with a headache and some pain behind his eyes and went to the doctor and they found some tumors. And uh, they haven't given a lot of hope from a human perspective uh, for Tom's prognosis. And I was talking to Beth on the phone and praying with her a little bit as they were waiting for some biopsies that didn't come back the way they hoped. And um, I'm grateful for Beth's testimony because she just said, God is awesome and we trust him. And I'm grateful this morning um, that we have a hope that goes beyond this life. But right now, what I want us to do is to pray for Tom. Because scripture commands us, if there's anyone sick among you, let's pray for them. And so as a church family, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer, but I wanna invite y'all, so Tom and Beth are sitting right over here. Just wave your hand really quick. (laughs) Some people know where you are if you don't know them. As we pray for them right now, I just want you to reach out a hand towards them and Agree in prayer as I pray for Tom this morning. So Lord God, we love you and we thank you that you love us. God, we thank you that you are good. God, we thank you that you know what is best for us, that you want what is best for us and you have the power to pull it off. And Lord, sometimes in this life, we face difficult seasons that don't seem good and don't seem like what is best. And in those seasons, we trust you because you are God and you are good. And as Beth said, you are awesome. And right now, Lord, we trust you. But God, you have also commanded us to come to you boldly. And so right now, we come boldly in the name of Jesus, the one who could command the dead to come up out of their grave the one who said, little girl, get up, and she got up. And Lord, we ask you right now in the name of Jesus for healing in Tom's body. God, we believe that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. God, we believe you are able to confound the wise. Lord, we believe you are able to use the weak to uh, confound the strong. And so right now, Lord, we pray that you would touch Tom's body in a supernatural way. Lord, we pray that these tumors would shrink, that they would disappear. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would do this healing work. You are able. You are able. God, we ask that you would glorify yourself in this way. Lord, we also pray this morning that your will would be done. And Lord, we trust you. God, I thank you for Tom and Beth for their testimony of faith. I thank you that their hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And so, Lord, I pray in this season of uncertainty, God, that you would give them peace that passes all understanding, that they would experience your presence and your love in a powerful way. And Lord, that they would experience the love of your people as we pray for them and encourage them and hold their arms up. So Lord, be with Tom right now. God, we ask for healing. We ask for your presence. 
We ask for your power in his life. And we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you, church. Love you, Tom and Beth. We're praying for y'all. We're with you. Well, this morning, um, Michael Schmidt is going to preach our message as we continue our Heart of Christ series. We're looking uh, at the heart of Christ to understand Christ better. And we told you a few weeks ago that Michael and Shelby and Maisie are going to be uh, moving. God has called them after Michael has served for seven years as the, as the youth pastor here at Orlando Baptist Church. God has called them to a new season in their life. Um, and so they'll be moving out of state and, and serving in ministry in a different capacity in a different place. And next Sunday will be their last Sunday here with us. And so I asked Michael to speak for us today. Next week, we'll pray for them and send them off. We're not going to do that today. But as Michael comes to speak today, here's what I do want you to do, okay? I want you to encourage him and let him know how much you love and appreciate he and Shelby him, not he. I thought I was saying it right, and then I didn't say it right. How much you appreciate him and Shelby and Maisie, and uh, let them know that you're going to be praying for them and that you are excited about this next step in their journey. And I want to ask you to do that by giving him a good hand as he comes to speak this morning. Come on, church. Let's encourage them this morning. Well, it's great to be here, Orlando Baptist Church. Uh, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but uh, I remember the first time I, I came to OBC when I was in high school, actually, before I ever came to attend and, and then eventually come and serve. Um, back in the day, this would probably be somewhere in the early 2000s, maybe 2003, um, OBC used to do some really large productions um, of different types. and. Uh, and one of them was they put on a really big, I think, Christmas and Easter pageant, and they used to hire out local student musicians from the local high school. And I was somebody who, attending Winter Park High School who came, and they hired me to play percussion. So I was playing the timpani and all, like, the, the accessories and all, all of that. And uh, that was the first time I ever came into this building. And I would sit over there, and there's the stage was all built out. And I did that, I think, a few times, and they paid me really well, or at least I thought I did for, for being in high school. I was like, wow, that's a lot of money. Um, and I was really thankful until, and I even came and visited because I met some friends doing that. And uh, that, that was my first time. And I'm so thankful that uh, in 2007, God brought me here as a college student um, that through a actually getting fired from a, a job playing drums at another church, which was a whole weird situation. Um, Derek, Janney, uh, off, uh, really, I asked him, I guess, um, gave me a position here, just helping him. Um, I think I got his dry cleaning once or maybe his coffee. I'm not really sure, but um, I really enjoyed getting to serve with him. Eventually, uh, our, our college group and, and what Derek was doing was passed to Wes, and I became kind of a youth assistant, and the rest is kind of history. Man, it's been incredible, um, the opportunity and, and the faithfulness of this church, but also I am grateful for those who have really seen something in me. Um, and there's been countless people that have given me opportunities that I probably wasn't qualified for, but they saw something in me. They saw my ability to whether work with students or to be faithful uh, and minister, uh, faithful minister to the gospel. And I have been shaped through the ministry of Orlando Baptist more than I can ever say. And uh, I'm so thankful. And I also believe so much that God is going to continue to do the work. I've, I've told students multiple times that I'm not taking Jesus with me. Uh, it's his church. And 
and he will continue to move and work and whoever is going to be kind of coming uh, behind me. And I'm so excited um, for the future of not just OBC, but the future of our, our student ministry here. It has a bright future and I'm so thankful for that. Um, I, I do want to give you kind of a couple updates on me because I'm sure a lot of you guys are wondering and it's been a little mysterious uh, and kind of quiet as far as some of the details, but I'm going to tell you everything I know right now. Um, God has called us um, to step out and transition. Uh, Shelby and I still don't know where we are going, though we, we have been talking to a few different churches and there's one that has been pretty prominent, but we don't have an answer quite yet. So I don't want to tell you anything because it might be a no. And so we are continuing to move forward with that. Um, but I do know what we do know is that we will be stepping into, uh, at least for me, I'm, I know my wife will still be working, but I'll be stepping into kind of a season of ra- uh, rest or a sabbatical. And uh, I don't know how long exactly that will go for, but uh, I really believe and I have a, a very strong piece that God is in control and providing something very wonderful for us. And so there is, it's a little nerve wracking. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm a little anxious because I feel called to step out um, and into a new season, but I don't know what's on the other side. But that is where faith is put to the test and grown. And, and I'm excited for what I will learn during this next season as well. And like I said, OBC is in incredible hands. Uh, We have an incredible volunteer leadership team and staff that loves Jesus and really loves students, Uh, both Dustin and Arthur. uh, We're both served as youth pastors. Corey, for a long time, served as part of our our live leadership team. So uh, even before me, he was serving with students. So I am not even the least bit concerned because God is going to be doing some incredible things here. And I'm so thankful that I can Really, I can trust that there is going to be something continuing here because, uh, I mean, I've, I've had fingerprints here for a long time, and you guys know that. And so it's a little weird to step out of something like the, the renovations I did on the youth room and knowing each student and their individual uh, thing that really makes them tick. And uh, to be able to step away from that trusting that God is doing something, uh, I, I feel like I can do that. Um, But I I do want to challenge you before we get into God's word and and get into the series that we've been in, um, I I do want to challenge you because I have the pulpit, so I guess I have an opportunity to do that uh, in in two ways. And this is really spoken to parents today or really grandparents, anyone in here today, not specifically for students, but for our adult population. Uh, First thing I want to challenge you is a reminder that it takes a village. Um, And I want to encourage you to invest deeply in the students here at Orlando Baptist Church and at Alive. Um, They need more than just parents and a youth pastor and a small group leader. Um, I think statistically, most people would would say that in order for a student to successfully walk into a a time of faith, for their faith to continue to grow after high school, statistically speaking, it's good to have at least five adults outside of parents and a youth pastor deeply investing in a teenager's life. That, that's huge. And for a long time, I didn't really completely understand what that meant. And I'm starting to now, and I'm starting to get more people involved, and our small group leaders are just the kind of the beginning of that. But I want to encourage you, challenge you, church, that you have a way, and whether it's being there on a Wednesday night, that's not really the point, but you have so many amazing opportunities to speak directly into the life of a teenager here at OBC and see them flourish into what God has called them to. And I hope that you wouldn't take that calling lightly. The second thing I want to say is that if you're a parent, I want you to make it a priority for your student to not only come on Sunday, but to be a part of the youth ministry here. And that's a big ask because I'm not asking you to come because you think that you trust me or your student thinks I'm cool. I'm asking you to trust in the ministry that's happening here completely separated from me as a person. 
And that's kind of a big ask, but I wanna tell you that I believe deeply in student ministry and what's happening. And so if you are a parent of a teenager, a middle school or high school student, or about to be, I wanna encourage you to make it a priority for them to be there. And that might be sacrificial for your family. It might be sacrificing something that your family does in order for them to be here on a Wednesday night or whenever our student ministry would gather in the future. Um, and I, I say this, I'm, I'm pretty sure my parents are watching right now from Dallas, um, but I, I will say that when I was in middle school and high school, I did not go to church. And not because my parents didn't love me, um, and not because they didn't believe in Jesus, but they chose when I was probably about in eighth grade to let me choose for myself and kind of explore my faith and kind of help me to own my faith. And that is a very noble cause, and I love them dearly, but there is also a part of me that wishes they would have made me go to church. There is a, a deep part of me, and I love them, but there is a deep part of me because there are some things that I missed out on being a teenager and walking with Jesus. Because I may have called myself a Christian, but I, there was no fruit in my life when I was in high school. There was nothing that could be regarded that could, you could have looked at me and said, he's definitely a believer. And I remember when I had friends that would invite me to come to their church, and I'd be like, no, I'm not interested in that. I remember my sister, who was following Jesus, asking me to come and lead and be a part of her prayer group that met before school at a public school. And I would say, no, no, I'm really not interested in that kind of thing. And it wasn't until going into my senior year where I was able to get back into a church setting and God gripped my heart in an entirely new way and flipped my entire world upside down and began to speak new truths. But I wanna encourage you, there is a, a desperate need, especially in the life of a teenager for a spiritual community outside of their family. And I wanna encourage you, if it is not a priority right now in your family to see your students be a part of that, I believe in the ministry and the student ministry here at Alive, uh, at Orlando Baptist Church, which is called Alive. And I wanna encourage you to be a part of that in the future. But we have been learning about the heart of Christ and we're gonna, transition into that for the last few weeks. And we believe that the heart reveals the deepest sense of who someone is. And when we think about the heart of Jesus, the more we understand his heart, the more we can under, better understand who he is. And our main text, which has been on the screen and we've been talking about, but I want to read it again, is out of Matthew 11, chapter 28, starting, uh, chapter 11, starting in verse 28. And it says this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I wanna encourage you before I even get into any of this today and, and step into the gospel message, if, if you've walked in here today and there is a heaviness in your heart, in your soul, in your life that you can feel, I wanna encourage you today that you've, you're in the right place because Jesus welcomes you to his heart and says, come, if you're heavy, it's okay, you can bring that. If you're heavy, it's okay, I have you and I love you. And there is comfort and rest in the person of Jesus. And there is a beautiful exchange that takes place as we give him our burdens and he gives us his righteousness. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your love in which you love us and we don't deserve it for an instant. And Jesus, I am a walking picture of your faithfulness and grace poured out. And I'm so thankful that you have used me in an incredible way um, over the many years and I don't deserve it. And I'm so honored to stand on this platform, Jesus. So use this time today, speak through your word, make it be full of truth and challenging for the congregation of believers today. We love you, in Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. 
So as I reflect over my years of knowing Christ and walking with him, the more and more I realize is it's less about what I know about God and more about who he is, uh, or let me say it this way, less about what I know about what he can do for me and more about just knowing who he is. And this has really been a transition for me. I, I really like thinking about stuff. I'm always kind of in my head. Uh, and I'll, I like information and fun facts about God and about the Bible. That's always really intriguing to me. But a lot of that steps to the side when I can realize who God is. And we get this kind of idea of adoration where I, I love God, not for something he did for me, something transactional, but just for the very being of who he is and his character. And we think about, oftentimes when we think about who God is, we think about his greatness. That's usually one of the things. And that is a very important part of who God is. And rightfully so. He created the universe. He created humanity. He's victorious in battle. All of these things. He conquered the grave. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. And all of these things are true. And all these things are so important. But I love this quote. And it says this. But seeing God's greatness is not our deepest need but seeing his goodness. And if you're like me and you love C.S. Lewis, specifically the Chronicles of Narnia, if you've ever gone through those books, uh, I love them dearly and they speak to me and and I really connect with Jesus through a child's book, I guess, but C.S. Lewis knew what he was doing. And there is a part in the first book, which I know they made into a movie, but Susan is having a conversation after getting into Narnia for the first time and she's having a conversation with this beaver who she just realized can talk and it's throwing her off. Um, But she asked, they were speaking of Aslan, this great king of Narnia that is not ruling at the time, but she speaks and she says, is he safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. I love this. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And this is a beautiful picture of who God is, that it is not necessarily always just about his greatness. It's about knowing his goodness. And if there's ever something that we would want to teach to our children and what I hope to instill in my daughter as I now get to be a father and dad is what we want to teach them is about the beauty of the heart of Jesus. And shouldn't children at their core know what Jesus thinks of them? and cares for them? Shouldn't they know that he's not mad at them and doesn't need to them to perform or be on the best behavior, but he loves them dearly regardless of whether they messed it all up or not. And he's gonna continue to love them with the unconditional love of, of a father, but better, not just an earthly father. Isn't that what we want our children to know? Not just that God is great, but that God is good and loves them dearly and his heart is for them. And so the question that we kind of consider moving into this message is have we considered or have you considered the loveliness of the heart of Christ? And today's message is about the emotional heart of Christ. And this is it. And I I love this quote, and we're going to be talking more about where this comes from. And it's, it is a heart that floods the suffering with the deep solace of shared solidarity in that suffering. It is a heart that is gentle and lowly. And this is the phrase that we see in that Matthew chapter 11 verse. And this is a book that has actually inspired a lot of this series. And I love it. It's by a guy named Dane Ortland. And we've been going through this as a staff. And a lot of this message, again, is kind of come, come from these teachings. If you don't have the book, I'd encourage you to get it. I think it's one of the top bestsellers right now in, in a lot of Christian books. Um, but it's so important that we see this 
this incredible truth that he is gentle and lowly. And when I went through this book, I was reading all the different chapters, and they're short. They're kind of like almost devotionals in a way. And one of the most important truths that stood out to me, and even I know I reached out to my dad, who I got this book for him for Christmas, and he actually brought up the exact same point, what stood out to him as well. And I love it, and I think it was in chapter 11, but it talked about the permanent humanity of Christ. And growing up in the church, we don't always think about this. It's kind of said, but not, never really said super directly like that, I think. We talk about how he's born in human flesh. We talk about that he grows up, that he lives, that he dies a human death, that he has a human resurrection, and that 40 days after having a resurrected body walking around on earth, he ascends in a human ascension. And then we believe that he's sitting there today at the right hand of the Father. We believe those things. But what is never really directly said is that in heaven, Jesus is in human flesh and will forever be in human flesh. I love this quote from the book. It says, but his humility once, or his, sorry, his humanity, which is also his humi- humility, his humanity once taken on will never end. Think about that for a second. His humanity once taken on, it never ends. It is eternal. And it says this, we have our own flesh in heaven. Think about that for a second. We have our own flesh in heaven. And why is this important? Why is it important that he, once he takes on human flesh 2,000 years ago, that he forever reigns in heaven in that same human flesh? When it comes to our faith, we know that we can connect with his emotional heart. Because he is human on our behalf. That just the same way that he spent 33 years on this earth in human form, connecting and resonating and empathizing with people, he still holds that role for us today. He is not in an in a otherworldly kind of way where we can't reach him or don't have a connection with him. He is not a God that is distant from us, but a God that is so close. And we can see that picture. We're going to look at a passage in the Gospel of John. But before we do that, I I want to point out that John does a really good job talking about his humanity prior to us ever getting to John chapter 11 where we're going to land. And so when we open the book of John, there's some connection between John and uh, the beginning of, of the Bible and the book of Genesis. Because he says, in the beginning was the word. And John goes on to say that that word was God. And then in verse 14, he says, and that word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, the birth of Christ is not the beginning, but is a huge transitional part when it comes to the redemption plan that God himself has, taking on the form of a servant to become a sacrifice for his own creation. The death of Christ is one of the most ultimate signs of God's love and his emotional heart for us. And so here we're going to find ourselves later in the Gospel of John after he's done a great job setting that up in John chapter 1. He's guiding us on this journey to understand the heart of Jesus. And we come to chapter 11 and it's near the end of Jesus' ministry And he's speaking to some of his disciples and close friends. And he comes to find out that one of his good friends, not one of the disciples, but if we remember Mary and Martha, their brother uh, was Lazarus. And they were close. They were kind of an inner circle with Jesus, even though they weren't part of the 12. And they spent a lot of time with Jesus. And he comes to find out 
that his friend Lazarus is sick and he's discussing this with his disciples and they're talking about whether they're gonna go into Judea even though uh, there is kind of a price on Jesus' head at this point and, and it might cost them his life and it eventually will. And so they're kind of debating what's gonna happen and ultimately come to the conclusion where Jesus just directly tells them that Lazarus has passed away. And it's pretty crazy because we don't sense a huge amount of urgency and we're kind of wondering what's going on and the disciples are kind of confused at this exchange that's taking place. And then we see as he goes forward, he has, uh, he's met by Martha who comes out from where they're at and they have this incredible, beautiful conversation, which I'll get to a little bit later. But it really is some deep questions that Martha has and Jesus meets her with such grace and compassion while also giving her some amazing truth about who he is and increases in her faith and encourages her in an incredible way. But we're gonna pick up starting in verse, uh, in verse 28 is where we're gonna be reading just a few verses here. And it says this, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to Martha, sorry, and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They also said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And like, like in this beautiful story of Lazarus, John goes deeper to expose Jesus's emotional heart for his people. And so number one, I want to give you a few things today to consider from this text. Number one is that God is sovereign over all aspects of life. God is sovereign over all aspects of life. And this is something that we, of course, we believe. If I ask you if God is sovereign, you're like, yes, of course. But I want you to really like press that deep into your heart. Do you really believe that God is sovereign over all aspects of life? Now, now, the big picture of this story tells us that he is sovereign over life and death, and we'll get to the miracle that takes place in a little bit. He doesn't really seem concerned about the, the, the illness of Lazarus, and he doesn't even seem concerned or have a great urgency when Lazarus has actually passed away. And the reason for this is he is capable of raising the dead. And this miracle is ultimately about bringing glory to God which is even greater when we see the suffering of death. However, and this is so important, the sovereignty of Christ does not prevent him from deeply empathizing with his people or even being grieved himself. He is not moved because the fact that he is sovereign, he, he doesn't have a separation between his ability to empathize. He can be both sovereign and complete control of things and able to personally empathize with his creation at an individual level. And what's, I think, even incredible, I actually believe the truth that God is sovereign makes his empathy towards us even greater. 
right? Because the fact that he is in control of all things, the fact that he also cares deeply and knows us more than anyone else ever could at an incredibly personal level just blows my mind. I can't even comprehend that he could be both in control and both deeply empathetic because I am neither of those things. And we are neither of those things. We are not in control and we actually really struggle to empathize. And the fact that God can be both at the same time is mind-blowing. God is not only in control over my birth and over the day of my death, but he is also in every aspect in between. And he feels deeply for those areas. So whatever you find yourself into today, whatever, wherever you find yourself, and there is a myriad of things, and we just prayed for the Hoovers, and there's so much need and hurt and suffering, and there is grieving happening on a daily basis in the membership of this church. And I have been a part of that. I have walked through seasons and continue to walk through seasons of, of doubt and confusion and asking God to stretch my faith and understand exactly what he's doing. But he's involved in every aspect of it. He knows every single part of what's going on. And he stands with us in beautiful, beautiful things. He mourns with our sufferings, but he also rejoices with our successes. He is there for us, walking alongside of us. But when we think about his emotional heart, it is not only related to ideas of, of love or just ideas of suffering. He has all emotional aspects on, on the spectrum. And so number two, I want to tell you today that Christ exhibits anger on behalf of his people. And that's kind of a weird thing to talk about in church because we don't like to talk about the anger that Christ has and shows in the gospel. We have to be clear. We see it when he clears the temple twice at the beginning and the end of his ministry, how he walks in and sees injustices happening and how the, the, the temple of God, which was there to display the glory of God, has been turned and into this place of trade and where people are being taken advantage of. And he is grieved and broken over that. And in that goes and does what some people would say is anger. And I would agree, but it is not the anger that we often express sinfully in a lot of different ways. Verse 33 says that he is deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. I believe that his sorrow was intermixed with anger. It's not just anger and it's not just sorrow. There's this beautiful balance and mixing of the two. But Jesus, if you notice here, is not ever angry, and specifically in this story, not angry at people. He's not angry at people. He's actually angry at the situation itself. He's angry that death, the power of death, has taken one of his friends and that his friend should have to suffer and that his other friends that have to walk through that also are mourning. He is frustrated and angry at their situation, not because he's not in control, but because he hates the power of death, that death is the object of his wrath and the one that came with the power to destroy. He opposes that in his anger. Now, when I think about my anger, I don't think of myself as an angry person, though, but I can be at some point. But it's not usually for good reasons. It's not because I'm angry about injustices. I, I wish that was the case, but mostly it's I'm angry about people driving in Orlando. That, that's 90% of the time. And I've realized this, and one of the beauties of being a dad is you kind of have an accountability partner in the back seat. And what I've realized is um, I don't always do really well with that. And even last night pulling into our house, I, I hear my daughter from the back say, come on, buddy. And I'm like, oh no. 
oh no. And she, she's actually picking up this verbiage when we drive about how I, I like to manipulate and control other people on the road from inside my car. And it's not that I, I'm, I don't hate traffic. I don't have any issue with traffic. I just hate really bad and dumb drivers. People that don't know what they're doing and make the wrong decision or what at least I would deem as the wrong decision based on whatever the handbook would be and about, especially about interchanging like in the middle and the median about how you're supposed to pull up further so you don't block the, I get so frustrated about that. But I'm, I see it in my daughter and I see it in my language and it's not something I'm proud of, it's something I need to confess and ask God to work on my heart so that I can model Christ even driving around in Orlando, which is really, really hard to do. And it's one thing I would tell you today, it's one thing to believe God loves you with his emotions, but I believe it's so powerful to realize he can actually be angry on your behalf that he stands with you in your frustration. You're not alone in those. And I, I think about the, the conversation, we didn't read it, but I think about the conversation he has with Martha just before this passage. And she's able to go to Jesus, just like we can today, and she asks a very difficult question in frustration and maybe in some doubt and confusion. She goes to Jesus and she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I don't know exactly how she said that, but we can kind of read, at least from the text, it seems like she's kind of said with maybe some aggression, maybe some confusion, maybe hurt, maybe with tears in her eyes, she comes to Jesus and says, if, if you had been here, where were you? My brother is dead, and you could have prevented that? And we are left oftentimes with some of the same confusion in our life. We're confused. Jesus, why would you allow me to be ill or sick? Why, why would you take something so precious from my life? Why would you take me through this season? Why would you take a loved one from me? And we, the beautiful thing is, though we don't always have the exact answer to that question, Jesus is there, and we can go to him, and he's not, he, doesn't, he doesn't hate that we have doubt or confusion, and he stands with us in those very things when we go to him with those frustrations. He's there, and he's compassionate for us. I love from the book, it says that his anger can be trusted for it's an anger that springs from his compassion for you. I love that his anger can be trusted, that he can be angry on my behalf and I don't have to feel alone in that. Not necessarily the anger that we get at people when they, they, they hurt our feelings or they're bad drivers, but the anger we have towards injustices in this world that we see that are so clear and so apparent and the hurt that we've gone through and the situations that we find ourselves in that we're outside our control and we're asking, trying to figure out, God, what are you doing in this? What could you possibly have to show me? Will you help me? And it, the Bible tells us that with his gentle and lowly heart, he meets us there in his emotional way that only he can. And the last thing I wanna share with you today is that Jesus wept. It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. I'm just really quoting the scripture. But this is so important to see. Um, yes, yesterday, I actually had an opportunity to go to memorial service um, of someone that I, I didn't know personally, but um, my wife's friend's uh, grandmother and, and mother figure in her life. And so we went. And, and I don't go to a lot of memorial services um, and, and I'll kind of share on that a little bit more. Uh, and I haven't been to a lot. God has, I have a small family and God has blessed a lot of them with health. And so I haven't even really grieved in someone really, really close to me before. 
But I, I was just overwhelmed at an opportunity to be able to go and sit and watch other people not only grieve, but also be there for one another and stand with one another in really, really difficult times. And as hard as funeral services and memorial services are, they're also a beautiful picture of the gospel and spiritual community and a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. And I love that, really, it, it, we don't directly see this, but really, this is almost kind of like a memorial service or a funeral service. There are people gathered and mourning the life of Lazarus, and Jesus shows up. And I love that Jesus doesn't show up and start preaching a lesson. This isn't time for the Sermon on the Mount, which he does beautifully in Matthew chapter 5. This isn't time for that. Jesus knows that this time is to sit with his friends and weep with them. It's so strong. There was no need for Jesus to weep. He knew exactly what was about to happen, and he was completely, like we talked about before, completely sovereign over it. Still, he weeps with those who weep. But why? Jesus' heart for humanity is an emotional heart. He's grieved by what hurts us, and this is not a forced trait or something that Jesus had to learn or something that he kind of like needs to work on because it's kind of at the bottom of his strength finders and he needs to be more. No, like literally, this is exactly who he is. It is natural for him to emotionally connect with his people. And that is a beautiful thing to remind us of. And through Christ, we are not only, uh, through Christ, we are also his friends. And so the same way that he interacts with his friends, Mary and Martha and his disciples, and even Lazarus himself, he also weeps with us and empathizes with us. Um, if I had to be honest, I am really uh, bad at sad, I've realized. I'm not good at being sad. Uh, I don't really know how to do it. I don't really know why. I don't think I really could have verbalized that uh, earlier in my 20s, but as I've gotten into my 30s and walked through some hard things, I've actually realized, and also the help of a counselor, that, that's really helpful too. If you don't see a counselor, you should definitely see one. It's awesome. Um, because they help you realize things like, hey, you don't really ever process your emotions very well. And I'm like, really? I thought this was totally normal. Um, and so really it's important for us to see this. Um, and, and here's one of my issues I've realized, that the combination of being me being an optimist about pretty much everything in life and also being a pastor has really hurt me in a lot of my empathetic interactions with people. I feel like sometimes I'm like Z88.3 in a human form, where the only thing I ever have to say is something either like positive or like spiritually encouraging. And I, I don't know how in a lot of times to actually like grieve well with people. Something I love about my wife is she's actually taught me to grieve in a lot of ways. Not that I grieve when I'm with her, but she really, right, I want to be clear. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying she makes me grieve. I'm saying she is wonderful. I'm saying she just has a deep empathy for people that I really don't possess, at least naturally at all. And I see her actually take the time to either grieve things going on in her own life or grieve with people in this really beautiful way, standing alongside of them, weeping. Now, when a kid comes up to me, I, I, I love youth. I love being a youth pastor and, and loving students. But when a kid comes up to me and they're sad and not because, not like a happy, I just accepted Jesus kind of cry because I, I know what to do with that. But like a stuff is really hard in my life. It is so hard for me not to naturally turn to a, oh, it's going to be okay. Or this, I'm going to give you a verse and let me give you a fresh perspective to explain. Like th those are real. I'm not just faking with them. 
right? Those are real things. This is a verse and it's encouraging. And this is a unique positive way to perceive what's actually happening in your situation. But oftentimes, what I've realized is that is not really what people need. When people are going through really hard things, just being able to sit alongside of them and cry with them and say, I'm so sorry for whatever you're walking through. And that is so hard for me because I have so many things that I want to say and they're just not that important at that moment. And I want to encourage you that Jesus, though he could tell you every truth and preach every single kind of thing, I really believe his comfort does not come necessarily in the truth of what he teaches, but just his actual emotional connection with us, that he literally sits beside us and weeps. And we see this here, that these are like, this is the shortest verse we see in the Bible. Two words, and I think they're the, the, some of the most profound two words that we see in Scripture, that he stands with us. And I've walked through it, and it's a different story than your story, but I've walked through it, and Jesus continues. Even when I don't want to process at an emotional level, Jesus finds a way to get in there and break me open and shake me up a little bit. He knows and he presses on me, and it's hard for me to get there sometimes, but I know that he is there, that he walks with me and will never fail to, and he walks with you today as well. In whatever situation you find yourself in, his emotional heart is for you, and I wanna encourage you, if you are like me and struggle to process emotions really well, I wanna encourage you to, to pray this week that God would break you in some of that areas. I've been praying that for myself, and I still struggle with that. But he is there, and there's something so beautiful about his heart. There's something so beautiful that we have our own flesh in heaven. So wonderful. So as important as the emotional heart of Christ is for us today, I don't want to miss out on the miracle that took place. A man who was dead for four days was brought back to life. And Jesus does this miracle just prior to his own death and resurrection. He's pointing to something greater. But in verse 25, I love this passage, and I don't want to miss this, this story without reading this verse. As Martha comes to him with all this confusion and hurt and brokenness, Jesus does ascribe to her a wonderful truth that we can hold to today. Jesus assures Martha and us today by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. Amen. This is the beautiful picture of the gospel today that we all have. Whether you're going through something hard or whether you're actually in a really great place in your life or whether you really connect to Jesus emotionally or you struggle to, regardless of that, the truth is, like Arthur did an incredible job presenting today during our time of worship, that we were all outside of Christ, we were all dead in our sin, like Lazarus in the grave, and Jesus brought us to new life through faith in him because of his death and resurrection. And we can cling to that truth today, and that is foundational for us as believers today, and that drives us and motivates us to share with a lost and broken world the life that they can have in Jesus. And the same promise continues in Colossians chapter 2, one of my favorite passages, as I know Arthur will come up to, to lead us in a final time of worship and reflection. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 13, this is the beautiful truth of what Jesus has done for us 
and his heart for our emotions, but also his heart uh, that triumphs over the grave. And it says this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. I encourage you to look back at that verse this week. There is so much hope in that. And I want to conclude by telling you this. My favorite part of this entire story, I love that Jesus weeps with his people. My favorite part when we talk about the new life we have in Christ is Lazarus himself. The fact that when Jesus calls out with a loud voice for Lazarus to come out of the grave, he comes stumbling out in a way, but he's still wrapped up in all of his grave clothes, and and there is an odor that is associated with the fact that he's been dead and wrapped up in a grave for four days. But it doesn't matter. Jesus didn't clean him up miraculously in the grave, and he didn't ask him to get his stuff together before he could come and be alive again. Jesus just says, come. And today, whether you're watching online or you're here today, if you have never come to Jesus who has an emotional heart for you, who cares deeply about every aspect of your life and is sovereign over it, if you've never come today, know that he is not asking you to get your act together prior to doing so. Know today that he is not calling you to shed your grave clothes and your mess and your sin, but he is going to do that on your behalf just by simply having faith that Jesus can do that. And Lazarus, brought back from the dead into this new life that Jesus has called him into, with all of his grave clothes all wrapped up and gross and smelly, Jesus simply calls like Lazarus today for us to come. Come to him who all who labor, and today he will give you rest. Just as you are, with all your hurt and your brokenness, you can find restoration and new life in the emotional heart of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We don't deserve it. It is overwhelming to consider what you are doing in our lives. And Jesus, we think about your gospel, the fact that you lived and died and rose again on our behalf. Jesus, you reach out today and offer this freely to us. Jesus, nothing we have to bring We have no gift to bear. We have no morality or good standing with you to add up to what you offer us. So Jesus, we come open-handed, humbled by your love for us and just say, Jesus, we're, we're yours. I have nothing to give. I surrender to you, Jesus. I can't fathom the way that you would love me and care for me. I don't deserve it for an instant. But Jesus, I thank you you came and you died and you rose again for me and that Jesus one day though I will have the end of a life here on earth I know that I will live eternally with you because of what you've accomplished for me and I can trust deeply in that truth but Jesus while I'm here on this earth Jesus I know that we have our own flesh in heaven and you are for us and you care deeply for us.
and empathize in areas of hurt and pain and frustration and confusion more than anyone on this earth ever really could understand. But Jesus, you, sovereign over all things, creator of heaven and earth, you know our hearts. You formed us in our mother's womb and you know our struggles. You know right where we sit today and the pain that we have. So Jesus, let us come boldly to you, not in fear that you would shun us or push us away for not being enough, for not having our stuff together. But Jesus, today you call us to come to you and you promise to take our burdens and give us rest in your righteousness. So let us step towards you today with whatever hangups or hurt, whatever we would have, Jesus, I pray that we would lay them at your feet and that you would weep with us. We love you and in Christ's name we pray, amen. So wherever you find yourself today, if there's an area of um, hurt or pain or frustration, I invite you to bring that willingly to God today. Jesus cares and loves you and every part of that and he's not judging you based on your mess or your confusion, but he welcomes you to come to him. And I wanna encourage you, and if you've never placed your trust in Christ, I welcome you to do that today. I know Dustin would love to talk to you or you can connect if you're online and, and wanna make a decision today. I know that there is an opportunity to do that and we're gonna be praying for you and would love to know what's going on in your heart. And then why don't you stand up church? Thank you, Michael, for proclaiming this truth today. I just wanna give you a couple ways to respond this morning. Maybe there's somebody in here who is going through a difficult season in life and you needed to be reminded this morning that Jesus weeps with you. And this morning, maybe you just wanna come down here and pray and just thank God and just lean in to our savior who loves us right where we're at and who weeps with us right where we're at. Maybe there's someone in here this morning and you need to know Jesus as Savior. Matthew, Matthew, I'm sorry, John chapter 11, verse 25, Michael read the verse where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me, even if he dies, yet shall he live. The statistics on death are pretty good. One out of every one person dies. The scripture reminds us that even in death, we still have eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If we'll put our faith in him, believe that he conquered sin and death for us, we can put our faith in him for salvation. And maybe today you need to respond to Jesus' call to come to him for salvation. So as we sing this morning, God is calling to you, you to respond. I invite you to do that. I would love to pray with you. Um, you can come pray by yourself. But if God is calling you, please respond this morning as we sing.